American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time This is episode 56 of American Timelines, my history for jerks. And we started? And we will start on a count of 17. One, two, three. No, we're not going to count of 17. Four, we're not going to get to 17. Start. No. Five. No. <laughs> Welcome to six. another episode of American Timelines. Amer- why do you have to? Why can't you say that with me ever? Because <laughs> I do that on purpose. Because I don't know when you're going to say it. You do it on purpose. I'm trying to time it. Let's no, you, 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 it's Welcome ridiculous. To another episode of. of. Um, no, see, you didn't do it either. All right. You said sod of. You didn't say episode of. It's because I was talking. Okay, welcome to another episode of, of American uh, Timelines. See, you're I doing thought, that on purpose. I thought we were going to say every other syllable. No, all right, we're done. Well, no, we're not. All come. right, you say come. This is the podcast that brings you all of the crazy nostalgic events that have happened in the past, and we do it year by year. And tonight, yeah, so they're true stories. Yes, they're scary stories. They're UFOs. They're murders. They're uh, swamp rabbits attacking presidents. Yes, and tonight we're talking about. Yeah, we're still in 1979. We can't get out of 1979 because there's so many things. We just keep going and going and going, and we just don't want the next season to start. Apparently. So we're still in 1979. We left off in September. Yes, September. Well, it was about to, September was about to start. So we just we left off. And Amy, this is episode 56. Wow. Welcome. We're a real podcast now. Um, although I will say our first, I don't know, 30 podcasts sucked. Probably. Well, you would know. you say? No, you there's say some gems good? in when there. Did you say the first good one was Not for, number one, baby. No, I'm sure. I'm afraid to. I keep wanting to go back to listen, but I, I bet that's terrible. I bet I could probably fix it now that I know more about well, editing. But I think I think you're being too hard on yourself. I'm sure that like it was, it was the bad. sound levels were terrible. Remember, yeah. I was interviewing our daughter at that point. Yes, I was like, there was a fan in the room or something. Probably like it was probably awful. All right, which we should bring back that. Uh, what does a nine year old girl think? She's not nine anymore. She's Ten, so. but we could do what does a ten year old girl think sometime. About some murders, like just tell her a yeah. brutal murder, rape story, and murder, rape and murder story, and see what she says. That maybe that's not a. On second thought, that's not a good not idea. A, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so we're just gonna jump right back into it, so we can try to get through the year. Um, and so right there on the first day of September, it was a Saturday, and the NWA United States Championship Tournament was underway. Uh, it was. It was in order. They had this tournament to crown a new U.S. champion. NWA with attitudes. You can't say that. That's the name of a band. Yeah, but you can't say the N word. I'm gonna have to bleep that out. What are you? What are you, Donald Trump? What are you? No, that's the name of a Kellyanne band. Kellyanne Harris. Kellyanne. If they didn't want people to say it, they wouldn't have named their band it. It's not for you to say. I'm referring to a, a proper noun. <laughs> then you just say NWA. You don't. Well, that's ever what I'm trying to. I'm trying to specify which kind of NWA you're talking <laughs> no, about. No, the National Wrestling Alliance. God dang it! Oh God, uh, I didn't know this was a wrestling story. They were, this tournament was to crown a U- new United States champion after Ric Flair vacated the championship due to winning the NWA World Tag Team Championship four days earlier. And so Jimmy Snuka defeated Ricky Steamboat to capture the title in 1979. Right. Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Okay. Super, super, superfly. Who later? You should cover this because he killed his wife. Did he really? He murdered his wife, and they just said, "Oh, she fell." Yep. He said, "Yeah, she fell and hit her head on the curb." <laughs> and they're like, oh, "Okay." She fell fine. into my foot. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he said that she just fell and he was let off scot free. But he was like a his whole gimmick was he was like a jungle persona guy, like he had like a, a cheetah leopard print. Oh yeah. Underpants and he didn't wear shoes or socks and he jumped off the top. Mm-hmm. Right. He was like a Tarzan type guy. Is he big and fat? No. Oh, I thought he was. He's Jimmy Superfly Snuka, 
He was like Tarzan. He dressed like Tarzan. Right. And then one time, Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper hit him with a bunch of coconuts. <laughs> okay. What's next? Uh, Friday, September 7th, 1979. Uh, at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, an estimated 30,000 viewers tuned in to witness the launch of ESPN. Oh, okay. ESPN. I thought this was going to be something good. No. Oh, no. Well, yeah, okay. it is great. No. He <laughs> <laughs> said, nope. Simultaneously, ESPN debuted its first Sports Center telecast with anchors Lee Leonard and George Grande. ESPN was founded by Bill Rasmussen, his son Scott Rasmussen. I don't think we need this on and a, Aetna as Insurance part of the agent podcast. Ed Egan. This is really boring. I don't care, think anybody cares. You don't want to know how ESPN started? No, I do not. Nobody does. Nobody wants to know how it began. No, it's well, stupid. You, you, now, this is going to be interesting because you know we're in 79 now, so this leaves off before the first episode of our second season because yes. I think we talked about the first the first year of, of ESPN starting back then. I think we started in 1980, but now oh. we're saying it's 79, so maybe it's a discrepancy. Okay. Well, who cares? Let's move on. <laughs> who cares? Thursday, September 13, 1979, Benson mm -hmm. was, an was an American sitcom that premiered yep. on ABC from September 13, 1979 all the way to April 19, 1986. The series was a spinoff of Soap. I did loved you know, did soap. you know that? Did you know yeah. Benson was a spell? Yeah. In which the character Benson, portrayed by... Robert Guillaume. Robert Guillaume, possibly the greatest human that's ever lived. He, first he was funny. He first appeared as the wise-cracking yet level-headed African-American butler for the highly dysfunctional Tate family. Mm -hmm. However, Benson chewed the soap opera format, eschewed... No. However, Benson, there's no space in between the, his mm. name and... Askewed, is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say that. Askewed the soap opera format of its parent series for a more conventional sitcom structure. And the lead character eventually moved from his service position to a role as lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. The series was created by Susan Harris and produced by Whit Thomas Harris Productions. She did all of them. She did Golden Girls and she did. all that stuff. So. Well, in 1985, uh, he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series for his role in the series. Okay. And a little a little Benson trivia for you. Mm -hmm. um, a famous comedian who later had a sitcom named after him mm -hmm. had a small part on Benson, a few episodes. Do you know who it is? No. Louis, Louis C.K.? Nope. Who? Jerry Seinfeld? Jerry Seinfeld. Was it? He played oh. a guy named Frankie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's funny. And he was terrible. He was? <laughs> He's Terrible. You know, Jerry Seinfeld can't play anything other but than him. Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I couldn't wait to see that when I found that out. I was mm -hmm. like, really? What? No way. And so I went back and watched it. Was he just like, being Jerry Seinfeld? Pretty much. Yeah. It was just a couple small parts. Like he was, mm -hmm. I mean, he was one guy, Frankie or whatever, but he was only in a couple episodes, I think. Anyway, a lot of people don't know that, so I impress people when I tell them that. Yeah, that's and then, impressive. And then I get a lot of... A lot of action from it. A lot of people are so impressed that they give me some action. All right. Well, by action, I say they brush my hair. Okay. Because I'm happily married to you. I would That's never right. do anything. Saturday, September 15, 1979, the show Working Stiffs premiered. I never remember. I don't remember that at all. It was an American sitcom which starred James Belushi and Michael Keaton as brothers, Ernie and Mike O'Rourke. The pair were janitors who aspired to work their way up in the field of business. The brothers worked in an office building owned by their Uncle Harry. Ernie and Mike also were roommates in an apartment over a cafe where the, uh, they befriended the owner, Mitch, and waitress, Nikki. Each episode featured slapstick and physical comedy, and Penny Marshall directed the pilot. It was on CBS. Okay. And I'm pissed about that. I'm pissed. That you didn't know it? Well, how did that not, how was that not a hit? Well, maybe it was oh, bad. Jim Belushi. Never mind. I was like, Michael Keaton and John Belushi? Like, what? Oh, no. It was Jim Belushi. That's yeah, why. Never that's mind. Fine. I read that. Yeah. Sorry. That's why. But still, Michael Keaton in the slapstick comedy? Working stiffs. Why didn't that do better? I don't know, babe. Ugh, dog. I know why. Why? Because it was up against chips. And the, oh. and the Ropers. Yeah, that's Sorry. why. Sorry, you can't compete against the Ropers. You can't, or Chips. 
Norman fucking fail, y'all. Okay. Norman motherfucking fail. Sunday, September 16th, 1979. Mm-hmm. A New Kind of Family is an American sitcom that aired on ABC. Yeah, why are we <laughs> talking about all this TV? Oh, I don't know. Is all this right, going to be a, a Is this? Yeah, skip that. It's oh, boring. Jeez, boring. Telma Hopkins was on it. That's why I wanted to. Uh, Rob Lowe and Telma Hopkins were on it. That's why I wanted okay. to talk about it. Because all these sitcoms I'm finding I didn't know existed. Rob Lowe was on a sitcom with Telma Hopkins. I don't. It doesn't. Is it she played Hattie and give me a break. It is very interesting. It's way more interesting than a horrible rape and a murder. Oh, oh just because Telma Hopkins not getting raped and then she's not no. covered in blood and spitting teeth out. That's not, not fun for you? Okay. All right. Thursday, September 20th, Buck Rogers. That's another TV show? <laughs> Buck Rogers yeah. was on. It ran for two, only two seasons. Oh, 79 really? and 81. I thought it was longer than that. Uh, and the feature-length pilot episode for the series was released as a theatrical film before the series aired. I had I had Buck Rogers' action figure. Did you? Yeah, did you? Twi- no. You remember Twiggy? Yeah. He was like the little robot guy. I thought he was Twinkie. No? No, Twiggy. Oh, okay. In fact, get off the podcast. <laughs> You're not welcome to be on here. Twinkie? That's what I always thought it was. You did? Yeah, when I was a little. Disappointed. I didn't really watch it that much. I probably thought that too. No, I had an action figure of him. He was cool. Uh, I got it stuck in my butt. Uh, <laughs> in your bee hole. <laughs> my bee hole. <laughs> uh, Saturday, September 22nd, 1979. Mm-hmm. There was an unidentified nuclear explosion in the Indian Ocean. Wow. It is known as the Vela Incident. Have you ever heard of this? No. The Vela Incident, also known as the South Atlantic Flash, was an unidentified double flash of light detected by the American Vela Hotel satellite on. September 22nd, near the Prince Edwards Islands off Antarctica. Hmm. Due to the characteristics of the light signal, along with other circumstantial evidence, it has been theorized that the flash was the result of an undeclared nuclear test carried out jointly by South Africa and Israel. Oh, my gosh. Though the origin of the flash was not conclusively determined, and several alternative explanations were proposed. In 2016... Several alternative explanations were proposed in 2016. Reachers from George Washington University's National Security Archive noted that the debate over the origin of the South Atlantic flash has shifted in recent years to the side of a man-made weapon test. In 2018, a new study claimed that it is highly likely that it was a nuclear test conducted by Israel. Oh, so what were some of the alternative theories? Other theories were suggested that the signal could have been caused by a meteoroid impacting the Vela satellite. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of the 41 previous double flashes detected by those satellites were confirmed to be nuclear explosions. Some information about the event remains classified. Say. That proves it was aliens. Yep. And that same day, Saturday morning cartoon premieres of Casper and the Angels. The New Adventures of Flash Gordon, The New Schmoo, Scooby-Doo, and Scrappy-Doo, Spider-Woman, and the Super Globetrotters all premiered on Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, yeah, those were all good ones. Remember the Super Globetrotters? Except for Scrappy-Doo, that was crap. Scrappy-Doo is when it got terrible. And Schmoo, what's his name, Schmoo? The New Schmoo. Schmoo, he was like a Casper kind of character. Yeah, yeah, well, Casper was on with friendly... Angels, Casper and the Angels, or whatever. Uh, yeah. I thought it was Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. No, this was Casper and the Angels, not the Teen Angels. Oh. But um, but the Super Globetrotters. I remember the Globetrotters cartoon. I don't remember being Super Globetrotters, but this one featured the Globetrotters as undercover superheroes who had transformed from the regular forms by entering magic portable lockers. Oh, I never heard. I didn't see that. Each member of the group had individual superpowers and could fly. Yeah, I never watched anything like that. They they gained their powers through an element called Globotron, and another exposure would weaken them on occasions. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't. I don't. I don't I remember Globetrotters being on a cartoon, but I don't remember them being having powers and stuff. But, yeah, uh, I, I just I remember them being on Scooby Doo. I think it was. Um. I met a Globetrotter recently. It was Hanna Barbera. It was Scooby. Yeah, it was Scooby Doo. Mm. The Globetrotters were on. Yeah, I always thought they were with the Scooby Doo. I think it was a spin-off type of thing. Like they were on that. Maybe people loved it so much. And then uh, Sunday, 
the day after the cartoons debuted, mm-hmm. um, Archie Bunker's Place debuted as a spinoff mm-hmm. of All in the Family. Oh, okay, I remember you know that. what that is? Yeah. Now, wasn't that his wife died and so he opens a bar? Is that right? I don't remember the specifics of it. Well, not as popular as his predecessor. The show maintained a large enough audience to last for four seasons until its cancellation. Um, in its first season, it performed so well that it knocked Morgan Mindy out of its new Sunday night time slot. Um, I think, yeah, I think Edith Bunker dies. Mm, that makes sense. And then he opens a bar or something because... Uh, there's a, a podcast, a new podcast called Mobituaries. Mm-hmm. You know who Mo Rocca is? No. He's, uh, I think he was on The Daily Show. I think he's a comedian type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the first episodes is about when people die on sitcoms mm-hmm. uh, or disappear. Yeah. Uh, it was a very interesting episode. I listened to the whole thing, but they talked about when Edith Bunker died. I was like, I don't know if she died on the show. Oh, it must be then. Yeah. But he's uh, a lot of that episode uh, talked about happy days, mm-hmm. and that did you did you know this? There was an older brother. Oh no! Like uh, Richie had an older brother. I oh, mean, he did. I think his name was Chuck or something. Mm-hmm. And he was in like three episodes, and then they just stopped. Oh, they didn't they, say he died or anything. No, like they just like stopped. Disappeared. Him. Yeah, he just disappeared. Like he went upstairs. He went upstairs and never came he never back. Came back downstairs. Yeah, he took his basketball upstairs. They said, yeah. So it was really interesting how they decided because they decided to make Fonzie kind of the older brother. Like mm-hmm. when he go ask for advice, he just asked Fonzie instead. So it was like, yeah, we don't need that guy. Yeah. So that poor guy, probably whoever that actor was. Yeah, because um, that uh, the rest yeah, of them. I don't remember that ever happening. Um. Okay. Anyway, that that's shout out to Mo Rocca's Mobituaries. And that same day, Trapper John M.D. <laughs> God. It was a spinoff. This is a spinoff podcast. No, it's not. And it the fact that Mash. you want to make it a spinoff podcast is very irritating. It was a podcast about spinoffs. Monday, October 1st, 1979, John Paul II had a sitcom. No, he did not. <laughs> John Paul II came to visit the United States of America. States, I remember that. You remember him coming in 1979? Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. It was on the news and everything. How old were you? In 1979? Yeah. Um, I was eight. You were only seven when he visited because it was October 1st. Oh, that's hadn't true. Turned eight yet. That's yeah, right. Just seven. kidding. And then that same day that John Paul came, mm-hmm. an unknown group of people paid for the erection of the Georgia Guidestones. And it paid for somebody's erection? Yeah, they paid for an erection, a Georgia guy's erection, for him to get an erection. All right. What is it really? The Georgia Guidestones. Do you know what they are? No. Six granite slabs that instruct the survivors of an apocalyptic scenario how to rebuild a better world. What? Yeah. That exists? That exists. Where? Just in case. Tell me where. <laughs> Georgia. In June 1979, a man using the pseudonym Robert C. Christian yeah. approached the Elberton Granite Finishing Company on behalf of a small group of loyal Americans and commissioned the structure. He explained that the stones would function as a compass, calendar, and clock and should be capable of withstanding catastrophic events. Jeez. Joe Fendley of Elberton Granite assumed that Christian was a nut and attempted to discourage him by giving a quote several times higher than any project the company had taken, explaining that the guide zones would require additional tools and consultants, but Christian accepted the quote. Really? When arranging payment, he explained that he represented a group which had been planning the Guidestones for 20 years and which intended to remain anonymous. Hmm. I wonder who. Um, so anyway, they they built these. Let's see. That's pretty smart to make it like a clock and a calendar and stuff. Yeah, the monument was unveiled on March 22, 1980 before an audience variously dis- variously described as 100 or 400 people. Christian later transferred ownership of the land and the Guidestones to Elbert County. The inscriptions, uh, here's the inscription, a message consisting of a set of ten guidelines or principles is engraved on the Georgia Guidestones in eight different languages, one language on each face of the four large upright stones. Moving clockwise around the structure from due north, these languages are English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, traditional Chinese, and Russian. No Spanish? Spanish was number two. Oh, what about French? Not French? No French. Uh, Here's the things they say. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Mm -hmm. 
Guide Reproduction Wisely, Improving Fitness and Diversity. Unite Humanity with a Living New Language. Rule, Passion, Faith, Tradition, and All Things with Tempered Reason. That's pretty good. Protect People and Nations with Fair Laws and Just Courts. Yep. Rape is legal. No, stop making stuff up. I'm just kidding. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Oh. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. A world court is a pretty cool idea, actually. Yeah, that's we probably yeah. This is, we should follow these. Balance personal rights with social duties. Mm-hmm. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Yeah. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. I guess it says that twice. That's actually not bad. Yeah, those are all really good. Well, the good thing is we're pretty much headed for a time where somebody's going to have to find those. Somebody, I know. That's why I asked where they were, yeah, yeah. just in case it's me. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, no offense, but you're probably not going to make I, it. I wouldn't survive it. No, I <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're not. Why would you say that? You don't have any survival skills. <laughs> Maybe I do, and you, you just don't, don't know. You don't. You'll panic. You're just a you're just panicking. You're the one who panics all the time. Oh my god, stuff. shit. Do I oh no? Oh my god. Oh You're the geez. one who like goes worst case scenario to you know, zero we to never 60. introduced ourselves. We don't need to, it's fine. You're Amy and I'm Joe. Oh well. I was gonna say that I was Fred Ottman, former WWE. You could have saved that Fred for next Ottman. time, see? Now you just w- ruined it. Fred Ottman. He was tugboat. <laughs> all right. And then he was the shockmaster. Sorry. And uh look up the shockmasters debut in wcw okay so anyway you like those yeah stones? that's pretty cool thursday october 4th 1979 the biggest ever storm on record was typhoon tip in 1979 the biggest what tropical storm the the biggest ever storm oh uh like bigger than a hurricane and a and a 2200 kilometers wide 305 kilometers an hour winds we don't know what, no, what kilometers means. are. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, we can't, but it's fast. You uh, didn't You didn't tr- convert those? U.S. Air Force Air, Air. No, because we're the only idiots that don't use kil- kilometers. Right, but we could have commented on how big it is if you would have, you know. It's 2,200 kilometers wide, bro. If you would have translated it. To I don't need to. No, we don't, we don't matter. All right. It's our French brethren that matter. U.S. Air Force aircraft flew 60 weather reconnaissance missions into the typhoon, making TIP one of the most closely observed tropical cyclones. Rainfall from TIP indirectly led to a fire that killed 13 Marines and injured 68 at Combined Arms Training Center. Uh, Camp Fuji in the Shizuoka Prefecture of Japan. Uh... Elsewhere in the country, the typhoon caused widespread flooding and 42 deaths. Offshore shipwrecks left 44 people killed or missing. Wow. And still, every time I say the name Typhoon Tip, yeah. I think of a wiener. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird... <laughs> tip of a wiener. Kind of a weird uh, thing to... And then, Saturday... Finally, some music. Sunday, October 6th, 1979. Yeah. We have a new number one song. On the Billboard charts. Oh, by Robert, yes. Robert Jones. Sad Eyes. Robert John, sorry. Wait. Yeah, Robert John, sorry. This is one of just a few non-disco mm-hmm. songs to top the 1979 pop chart. Yeah, disco was it, it in Al- 79. Although by 1979, by this time... The anti-disco backlash had made it easier for other styles to reach the top. So 78 must have been the height of disco. I think it was. Yeah, it was all, all over the place. But, you know, we talked about the disco demolition night. Yeah, that's right. And that was 79. So Yeah, and I didn't realize how that was, how much that was divided upon among racial lines. Oh, yeah. Like, people really look at, back on it as straight white males, yeah. like, fighting back. Yeah. Like it is now. Yeah, kind of like now. Like yeah. it's straight white men saying disco sucks, and I didn't think of it as a race and a sex thing. I just thought people were like, oh. Yeah. But if you think about it, like disco, but anyway, this song is, I don't have anything else about it except that it's not disco. 
You love this song? <laughs> Sorry. You can turn it off. I've never heard that song before. You haven't? No. You cried. And, and I could I could have done without ever hearing it, probably. Really? I don't think I like it. But um, so with going back to the disco sucks thing and the race. Yes. Baiting and whatnot. I kind of... And I th- thought, like, what is... That, it also explains why I love disco. Because you're a gay black man? Because I'm a gay black man. You're a gay black Inside. man trapped in a white... Yep. Yeah, you're a gay black man trapped in a white woman's... Body. A white straight woman's body, and yep. I'm a gay black woman... That's true. ...trapped in a white man's body. That's true. So that's why we... Wait a minute. That's why, we, that's why our love life so dismal. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, wait. And that doesn't work. All right, what's next? All right, a gay black man. No, it makes sense, right? Like, a gay black man might be attracted to my body, and a gay black woman might be attracted to your body. Oh, I guess that would work in that way. Okay, what's next? It's just Twitter, not white. No, but I was just going to say, I wonder if that, like, maybe that backlash about the, the hating of disco and the pushing disco out and the burning of everything and, and making disco fizzle because they fought so much that... Mm-hmm. It kind of became the birth of rap. Like rap came, oh. and hip hop came out of yeah, kind of disco. Yeah, and so maybe it, maybe it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't such a backlash in disco. Maybe people wouldn't have like changed it into that. Or maybe they would have anyway. Maybe it had nothing to do with it. But it's, it's almost a thought. Like, it's a good thought. Hey, get disco out of here. We hate disco. We hate you. We hate you. We hate you. And like, guess what? Yeah. Now we got, got hip hop bitches. Yep. Which is like a more powerful disco kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Take that, and it, and you can't stop hip hop. That's right. You can't. I know. Can't stop, won't stop. All right, what's next? Can't stop. Saturday, October thirteenth, nineteen seventy nine. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Oh boy. Um, was pre-raping kids. No, uh, I don't think it was pre. I don't think he was raping anybody at this point. You don't think? No, I don't think. Only he, when he got no, real I famous. think he got the gumption later. Like I think I don't think he had the gumption yet. What do you mean with gumption? Like the get up and go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is what is the gumption? No, no, no like the gall, like the oh. like the gall of something. You know, like I know when you're talking. Once about he's it. a superstar, he can get away with anything. Yeah, you know, just kind of like that documentary kind of talks about. It's like, yeah, this is a a god to some people's yeah. eyes, and he reached a point where I think. He did it with just so many kids that he got to the point yeah. where so I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Nobody will ever stop me because I'm Michael Jack. I'm a I'm not a human. I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want. But at this point, he was just kind of starting out. Yeah, so that's like, true. I'm not starting out, but breaking up from his Jackson fives and going solo. So maybe he wanted to, or maybe he was. No, you're probably right. But I don't think he, I. I bet he, he did have the opportunity. Yeah, and I don't think he did that until he realized that he's a god and he can tell people just give him their children. Anyway, do you think he was always a pedophile? Think he was born a pedophile? I don't. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works either. I mean, it's definitely a mental illness or something wrong yeah. with you. If you need it. I mean, somebody probably did it to him. So yeah, you know, when he was a kid, he probably had that. So, he, but like, yeah, think, again, like we talked about, he, we don't think he <laughs> has the songs. Yeah, like, I know. We don't think. Well, in the name of the song, yeah, don't, don't stop oh, till you God, get enough. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh. In hindsight, all of the songs are probably terrible. Yeah, pretty young thing. <laughs> oh, I mean, God. come on. Oh, jeez. I didn't think about this. That's terrible. But he didn't think, I don't think he, like we thought, I don't think he thought he was doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like he thought he was doing good things. And the kids thought that, too. Anyway, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough uh, was written and recorded by Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Released under Epic Records. The song is the first track on Jackson's fifth studio album, Off the Wall. First solo recording over which Jackson had creative control. Yeah. Um, it was his first single to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in seven years, and his first solo number one on the Soul Singles chart. It remained number one for six weeks on Billboard Soul chart. The song was a worldwide success. I used to have an aerobics record that had this song, as, so it always makes me want to do aerobics. Really? <laughs> <laughs> My uh, mom, too. Same aerobics record. Really? Yep. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay, so in 1978, Michael Jackson starred as the Scarecrow in The Wiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
After the filming, Jackson, who was still a member of the Jacksons, approached the film's musical director, Quincy Jones, Mm -hmm. to ask if he knew of any producers to help with Jackson's future solo endeavors. Jones suggested himself, and the two began to work on Off the Wall. And after listening to hundreds of demos, and the two decided upon the ones to record. These included Working Day and Night, Get on the Floor, and Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. The song was recorded in L.A. Why does he? Why is he falsetto in this song? Uh, was that the always, style at the time? I think he always is. He claimed that the melody of Don't Stop Till You Get Enough came to him, mm-hmm. and then he couldn't shake it off. He found himself humming and singing it while walking through the Jacksons and Sino home. As Michael was not a keyboardist, although certainly capable of playing piano, he had his brother Randy perform the melody on the piano in the family's recording studio. When Jackson's mother, Catherine Jackson, a devout Jehovah's Witness, heard the song, she was shocked by the lyrical content and felt that the title could be misconstrued as pertaining to sexual activity. Yeah. Jackson reassured her that the song was not a reference to sex, but could mean whatever people wanted it to. And then he said, by the way, I'm doing way worse things to kids. Yeah, really. This is not the worst thing in your future, lady. Anyway, it's it's sad. We can still like the art, hopefully, and and despise the person, right? Yeah. I'm hoping, hoping that's I think what, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's. I it's I hard. just I think I wouldn't buy anything. Yeah. It's the it's the. Well, he's dead now, so he can't benefit. But his estate does, and same thing with Bill Cosby. Like I wouldn't buy anything. Yeah, because he can still it, benefit, but. Yeah. Yeah, as the state does, but they didn't do anything to their kids. They turned a blind eye. Yeah, you sure got did. you bet they, your you, you know they sweet ass they did. Was happening, yeah. yeah. <sighs> but and maybe I think there was it, a lot was, of complicity in. Maybe it's gonna just be hard to th- listen to any of it without thinking of I what think he that's, was doing. Because like you said, every curse. every song title now comes back to child yeah. molestation. Ugh. Wednesday, October 17th, 1979, the Pirates became the fourth team in World Series history to come back from a three games to one deficit to win the World Series in seven games. Sweet. This marked the second time in the 1970s the Pirates won a World Series game seven on the road against Baltimore Baltimore Orioles. And the Pittsburgh fans turned the city on fire. The previous time being in the 1971 World Series, the Pirates were famous for adopting Sister Sledge's hit anthem, We Are Family, as their theme song. Okay. Who's your favorite Pittsburgh pirate of all time? Is Pittsburgh are the Pittsburgh fans the ones that throw batteries? Or is that Philly? I think, I think that's it's Philly. Philadelphia. I think a lot of them do. Pittsburgh fans you throw batteries. <laughs> throw ba- well, <laughs> why wouldn't you throw a battery? I mean, I got them here. You got some batteries. You got to throw whatever's there. Might as well throw them at you people. Like, are you more of a Bill Madlock or a Willie Stargell hmm? fan? Are you like Bill Madlock better than Willie Stargell, like out of the Pirates? I'm not 70s pirates. dignifying that with a response. Willie Stargell was the best. I like the Pirates because, you know, when you're a kid, you just look at the baseball cards and you just like the guys, what they look like. You yeah. Know, their colors, the uniforms, whatever you don't know when you're really little. And I love the Pirates because they had Bill Matlock and Willie Stargell, and I think there was a couple other guys. Like, it was the 70s, so mm-hmm. they, were, they had these these pudgy black guys with big beards mm-hmm. and big afros. Oh. And then they wore, like, they dressed like bees because they were, like... Black and yellow stripes. Sorry. So they dressed like bees, like, and it was oh. like the same time Saturday Night Live when it had the yes the bees, mm-hmm. like so they just looked like bees, big giant bumblebees. Like it looks like Quest Love dressed like a bee. Uh, you would love them. So they were cool. All right. Saturday, October twentieth, nineteen seventy nine. Mm-hmm. We got another new number one song. Knock Michael Jackson's pedophilia off. What? The, Oh, not knock his Michael Jackson and his pedophilia off the number one spot okay. in the Billboard charts. I didn't mean to suggest anything else. Herb Alpert, mm-hmm. Rise. I think I know the song. It's an instrumental. Oh, it is. Written by Andy Armour and Randy Badass Albert Alpert. And first recorded by trumpeter Herb Alpert. The instrumental track was included on Alpert's solo album Rise and released as a single in 1979. It reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in October of that year and remained in the top position for two weeks. Herb became the first and only artist to reach the top of the Hot 100 with a vocal performance 
which he did in 1968, as well as an instrumental performance. This one, Rise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I know this. You know this? You want to throw out some lyrics? No, but I totally uh, know this uh, music. Uh, uh, All right. Uh, uh. Want me to throw out some waffle sweats? No, we're not doing waffle sweats. I want your thirst with some hot dog water. All right. Uh, uh. Want to throw out some hot dog water? No. I give you burst like a pot fog order. All I right. I want your thirst with some hot dog water. Uh, uh. Waffle sweats. Waffle sweats. Okay. And then Saturday, November 3rd, 1979. Mm-hmm. I don't, see, I don't know this song. You, you oh. must have heard it in a lot of elevators, huh? Yeah. Saturday, November 3rd, 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greensboro Massacre is the term for an event which took place on November 3rd. Mm-hmm. When members of the Communist Workers Party and others demonstrated in a Death to the Klan march in Greensboro, North Carolina, United oh, States. Oh, wow. The Communist Workers Party, which advocated that Klan members should be physically beaten and chased out of town, engaged in a shootout with members of the KKK and the American Nazi Party. Jeez. Four members of the CWP mm-hmm. and one other individual were killed, and 11 other demonstrators and a Klansman were wounded. The CWP supported workers' rights activism among mostly black textile industrial workers in the area. It's like shades of the future. Yeah, it's this weird, is the, isn't it? You, this is what's going, shades of things to come. But it's really just repeating. It, it is. Just repeats itself it is. over and over. Yep. Two criminal, uh, two criminal trials of several Klan and A&P members were conducted. Six men were prosecuted in a state criminal trial in 1980. Five were charged with murder. All were acquitted by an all-white jury. The of the the clans members or the other the clansmen, oh, were all acquitted. Of by course, all white jury. Of course, they were. A second federal criminal civil rights trial in 1984 concluded with the acquittal of the nine defendants. In the first trial, the jury concluded that the defendants acted in self-defense. In the second trial, the jury concluded that the defendants' actions were based on political rather than racial motivations. Yeah, right. That was before they had the hate hate laws. Mm-hmm. Um. Survivors filed a civil suit in 1980, led by the Christian Insti- the Christic Institute. Mm-hmm. The case in, f- uh, in federal district court accused numerous police officers and four federal agents, as well as Klansmen and A&P members, of violating the civil rights of those killed. And it also charged mm-hmm. the city with failure to protect the legal demonstration. The jury found the Klan Nazi shooters liable for the death of Michael Nathan, the only non-CWP victim. The jury also held the Greensboro Police Department responsible for failing to do more to prevent the shootings because it was told by an informant that the KKK planned violence. These groups were ordered to pay a total of $350,000 in damages. This is one of the few times in U.S. history when a jury held local police liable for cooperating with the KKK in a wrongful death. They lo- held them They liable. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, they held them Good. Liable. So, something. Uh, yeah. Um, after this civil suit. But uh, so now we're in November. Oh, do you want to try to do your thing, and then we'll yeah. we'll kind of figure out how to go back or whatever. Okay, uh, so I'm gonna go back a little bit. Um, mine starts in S- September 13th, 1978. For most people, September 13th, 1978 was an ordinary Wednesday. September 13th, 1978, an ordinary Wednesday. How can you say it was an ordinary Wednesday when it was the Wednesday that rapper Swiss Beats was born and also on 8 is Enough, uh, after getting talked into being Nicholas's Little League coach, Tom quits when the parents get to be too much. But then Tom becomes one of those parents after Abby takes over the team. Oh. I, That's not a regular Wednesday. Yeah, it was. That show was titled 9 is Enough. Okay. But for Cheryl Bradshaw, the bachelorette on the TV show The Dating Game, the oh, day was that's memorable. A great game. From a selection of eligible bachelors, she chose handsome bachelor number one, Rodney Alcala. Oh my God. I love I love the dating game. I love the bachelors and the Cheryl Bradshaw and she chose bachelor number one. Yes. And What's the his show name? was his name's Rodney Alcala. Oh, and you can watch this online? Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, and there's gonna be a murder in it? The the show was heavy on innuendo. The host introduced Alcala as a successful photographer who got his start with his father found him in the dark room at the age of thirteen, fully developed. And he's got a huge c- 
cock. Throughout the show, Alcala enthusiastically responded to The Bachelorette's suggestive questions, likening himself to a banana, saying that nighttime is when he really gets good and acting out the part of a dirty old man. Oh, yeah, that's how it was all the time. It was all sexual. But at the same moment, he was keeping a deadly secret. He was a serial killer. Oh, my God. He was on a yep. he was on the dating game? Yes, and now, you can you watch know, it. Have you known about this for a yeah. long time? Yeah. You've known this. This is yeah. a famous thing people yeah. know murder lovers like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Holy shit. It, it's called, he's called the dating game killer. Now, I didn't know this ever existed, and I love the dating. Yeah. I, actually, I will tell you, I will go on record, and I will say, I learned everything I know about sex. <laughs> from the dating from game? From the dating game. Because <laughs> they pretty much spelled it <laughs> out. As a kid. Like, I learned it all from Chuck Making whoopee. Making whoopee. Or, or that, was, that was the other one. No, that was it. It was the dating game? Yeah, I think so. Right, what was the other one called? The Newlywed Game? The Newlywed Game. Oh, That's yeah, making Whoopi, I think. But both, I remember both of them were on yeah. reruns and things when I saw them. But, uh, so, oh, yes, okay. So Bradshaw's intuition saved her from becoming Rod, one of Rodney's victims. After the show, she conversed with Rodney backstage. He offered her a date she'd never forget, but Bradshaw got the feeling that he was a little off. Man, a murderer. She picked him? Yes. So there's a serial killer and two other bachelors. Yes. Which one do you choose? And she picked she the picked murderer. She picked the serial killer. <laughs> yes. terrible. I got three options, and I yeah. picked the murderer. I picked the worst one. Now, the other two are probably shitty guys, too. Like yeah. One of them probably wiped backwards, and yeah. the other one probably banged his mom. Probably something like that. <laughs> something terrible. <laughs> the couple had won tennis lessons and a trip to Magic Mountain, but Bradshaw declined to go on the date. I started to feel ill. He was acting really creepy, she said. I turned down his offer. I didn't want to see him again. Another one of the episode's bachelors, actor Jed Mills, recalled to LA Weekly that Rodney was kind of quiet. I remember him because I told my brother about this one guy who was kind of good looking but kind of creepy. He was always looking down and not making eye contact. Mm. Had the popular dating show performed background checks on their bachelors, <laughs> they would have discovered that this kind of good-looking but kind of creepy guy had already spent three years in prison for raping and beating an eight-year-old girl. Oh, and now it's not funny anymore. He'd We're done the same thing to a 13-year-old, too, which landed oh. him on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They could have checked the background check to find that he did those things? Yes. So everyone knew there's public yes. records that he did those things, yes. but why wasn't he in jail? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But sometimes a background check can't even uncover the whole story. In Rodney Alcala's case, the whole story consisted of at least four prior murders he hadn't been definitively linked to yet. What? Cheryl Bradshaw's rejection likely only fueled Alcala's fire. In total, before and after his television appearance, the sadistic dating game killer claimed that he killed between 50 and 100 people. Man, What? So, Rodney Alcala was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1943. Okay. His father moved the family to Mexico when Alcala was eight years old, okay. only to abandon them that three years later. In Mexico? Yes. Oh, boy. His mother then moved Alcala and his sister to suburban Los Angeles. Okay. At age 17, he entered the Army as a clerk, but he had a nervous breakdown in early 1964. He was medically discharged due to mental health issues. Any idea what he was so nervous about? He was, yeah, I don't know. He was then diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder, chronic and severe. Okay. Then the intelligent young man with an IQ of 135 went on to attend UCLA. Oh, okay. Smart guy. But he wouldn't stay on the straight and narrow for long. Like many, hold on, the dog's got his paw stuck in his ear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Geriatric dogs. Yeah. Like, um... Like many serial killers, Rodney Alcala had a style. His signatures were beating, biting, raping, and strangling, often choking victims until the point of unconsciousness. Then once they came to, he'd start the process over again. Okay. What? Okay. So his first, on his first attempt at killing, it was September 25th, 1968. September 25th, 1968, the same day that the pilot episode of Here Comes the Brides on ABC was on. The adventures of a logging work team <laughs> and the marriageable single women sent to them in post-American Civil War Seattle in the Washington Territory. What? Um, it starred Robert Brown, Bobby Sherman, and David Soul. Also, Will Smith was born. Now, David Soul, he was Starsky and Hutch, wasn't he, Hutch? Uh, I believe. Yeah, he was the guy who didn't have an album. Yeah, Hutch, he was I the think. other guy. Um Darcy and Hutcher, as I like to call them, the Hillside Stranglers, because <laughs> they pretty much look exactly <laughs> like look the like Hillside Stranglers. Guys. Yeah. Um, so, this is 
like stomach turning talking about this stuff. What ha- what he did to people. Yes. So so I'm just I I just I'm just hope you're really glad that we stopped talking about uh, fun sitcoms that debuted with Jim Belushi to start talking about all this right. stuff. Let me just get through my story, please. I love you. All right. On his first known attempt at killing. He was successful at at only two of those things. The victim was Tali Shapiro, an eight-year-old girl he'd lured into his Hollywood apartment in 1968. Shapiro barely survived her rape and beating, her life saved by a passerby who reported a tip to police. The passerby saw her walking on the sidewalk and saw him lure her into the car and got his license plate and then followed the car and and called the police. And so the police came, but Alcala got got out. He fled the apartment when the police arrived, and he remained a fugitive for years. He moved to New York. New York, girl, man. Yeah, I know. Then he moved to New York to get away from that one. This is the only one he did at at that point. Yeah, and and he used the alias John Berger to enroll in film school at NYU, where ironically enough, he studied under Roman Polanski. Uh, My name's uh, John. Uh, John uh, Berger. Berger. Yeah, yeah. Ketchup, not ketchup, no mustard. uh, Berger. Yeah, John Berger's the name. That's the ticket. And then Roman Polanski. Yeah. In June of 1971, he graduated from NYU and began his third summer working as the arts and drama camp in George Mills, New Hampshire. Okay. So two George Mills campers recognized... Wait, he was the drama teacher, you said? He, work, he, he was working at the arts and drama camp. I okay. don't know if he was. Um, so two campers recognized the counselor from an FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list while they were at the post office. Oh, wow, cool. Okay, good. So they got him. The, the camp director confirms the man listed as Rodney Alcala is his employee, John Berger, and calls the FBI. So he was arrested on August 11th, 1971. Oh, the same day that Harmon Killebrew hit his 500th and 501st home run? Yes, Harmon Killebrew, y'all. But he was only sent to prison on charges of assault because Shapiro's family kept her from testifying, making a rape conviction unattainable. Oh, no. So Alcala was... So the boss was like, yeah, that's not him. I mean, it looks like him, but uh, his name is John... He said his name was John Ketchup, and then he said mustard, and then he's changed it to burger. So I think... I think you're, it's a fake alley, alias. Right. So it's a great joke. So I'm just, I know. More, I'm like, you're going back to that joke. It's not really that good. Um, <laughs> it's great. So Alcala was determined by a state prison psychiatrist to have considerably improved during his time incarcerated. Oh, better. And was released on parole in Los Angeles under the stipulation that he register as a sex offender with the Monterey Park Police Department. And then just the other stipulation is just no more murdering anybody. I know. Just no more of that. And you'll be fine. Ridiculousness. All better. So Fixed. then on... Um, Problem solved. On October 13th, 1974... Oh, the same day that uh, on uh, on uh, Apple's Way, a what? show starring Ronnie Cox, Francis Lee McLean, and Malcolm Atterbury, Paul falls hard for Jane Houston, a beautiful, slightly older woman who's visiting the area, and as she... Re- prepares to return to New York City, Paul believes he's found true love and is determined to go with her despite his parents being against it. Also the same day Ed Sullivan died? Yes. Ed Sullivan was murdered. On that day, he kidnapped a 13-year-old white female in Huntington Beach, California and forced her to smoke marijuana with him before being arrested by a park ranger who smelled the marijuana and decided to investigate. Forced Forcible marijuana smoking. Yeah. He He was convicted and spent three years behind bars for that. Okay, three years behind bars for forcing someone to smoke weed. And I know. <laughs> Good God, y'all. Yep. Um, what world do we live in? So the, why are we surprised now when everything's crazy? Yeah. Why are we surprised? I don't know. This the, is always Then on June 16th, 1977. Oh, the same day that pitcher Carrie Wood was born and Marion Rose and Adam Arkin were on the $10,000 pyramid? Yes. He was released on parole after being pronounced re-reformed due to self-improvement programs complete while, completed while in prison under the condition that he report to a parole officer weekly. Okay, this time he's fixed. Just don't murder anybody this time or do anything, any raping, and don't force anybody to smoke pot. Then authorities let Alcala travel to New York to, quote, visit relatives. Well, just go visit relatives. Just don't, just don't kill anybody. Within... 
days of, uh, investigators now believe that within seven days of his arrival there, he killed a college student named Elaine Hoover, no. who was the daughter of a popular Hollywood nightclub owner and goddaughter of both Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. What? You don't fuck with a rat pack, bro. No. We told you. We just told you. Just don't murder anybody, dude. That's the one thing you had to not do. So soon after, after all this, the rat pack. Alcala somehow got a job at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter in 1978. Jesus. Under his real name. Oh, Which not- was now attached to the substantial criminal record. It wasn't burger time. A typist by day. By night, he lured young girls to be part of his professional photography portfolio, some of them (sighs) never to be heard from again. Oh, no. Just do a background check, people. Come on. Is Do we need to... Is, should I, should I come come up with an ending right now? Yeah, that's okay. probably smart. Yeah, so... Okay, our, and our, that is that is where we're going to hold off on a, like a little bit of a cliffhanger, I wait guess. Wait a minute. You're kidding me. Are, you're going to stop there? Yes, I'm, I'm going to stop in that part. I'm just getting into this. I know, but... Wait, was he on the was he on the show yet? Not yet. Oh, my God. It's okay, so what was the last thing that just happened? He became a typesetter. A typesetter. He got a job. At the Los Angeles Times. At the LA Times. He's back in California, and we're going to leave it there. And This was crazy. We're going to find out what happens next. Yes. Uh, you have to wait till episode 57 of American Timelines to find out. But uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. I, if you like Amy's stuff more than my stupid stuff, I'm sorry I go on and on and interrupt her all the time. But uh, you're also something wrong with you because you're something <laughs> wrong with Amy for liking that stuff. Uh, and if you're more of a uh, birthday fan. Uh, if you're birthday more, fan. If you're more of a sitcom history fan, I apologize for all of the gross rapes and murders that Amy's always <laughs> uh, obsessing about. <laughs> Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. We do like to have a little something for everybody. That's right. Um, That's the point of and it. And so here is a little ASMR. No, we're not doing ASMR. No, people might want it. Here's here is a little Matt Truman Ego Trip. Matt Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band. The rock. Matt Truman is the greatest rock star. All right, here comes Chuck Ever. Berry. Get Ever. out of here. He can kick David Roth's ass. Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, get the fuck Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.